My text is from Matthew chapter 16. It's when Jesus came into a region called Caesarea Philippi. Some of the things that I'm going to share this morning, a handful of these things, have, you've heard them before because you've been here for a while and you've heard me talk about them. I want to bring them into context, though. Jesus asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man? I, I'm sorry, who do men say that, that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. We're going to talk about that term. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's a pretty incredible statement in the uh, New Testament book of Matthew. When I graduated from Central Bible College, I had only one thing on my mind, and that was to pastor a church. I feel like from the day I stepped foot on the campus to the day I walked across the graduation platform, I'm going to be a pastor. That was my dream. My ministry journey, along with Joan, <laughs> began in Alaska. It was kind of a journey to get there. But that was the, not a moment that I, I want to just say, there was not a moment in my, in my life that I ever thought I should start a church. I want to pastor a church. I never had a clue about starting a church. But all of that changed in about 12 months after we began our pastoral service at a tiny little church called Fairview. Fairview Assembly of God. A little church that was located right in the heart and right in the center of the largest Native American population in the state of Alaska. We were right in the middle of it. We were trying to be a white church. And that wasn't working out all that great. We were right in the middle of Eskimos, Athabascan Indians, Aleuts, and they were all around us. And so God began to change our focus. It was God, because I don't want anything to do with it. But God began to change our focus and our direction. And we, we began to talk about this with church leaders and things like that. We just had a small church probably on the best Sunday that I can think of, maybe 75 or 80. But we talked about it. And the new church plant became an idea that we thought was something that God wanted us to do. 
and so we moved forward on it. We found the property, all of that. We talked with district leadership officials. They were pretty enthusiastic about the whole thing. And things started moving. Fairview lost its name. It became Anchorage Native Assembly. The new church was going to be called Calvary and was a small Bible school was going to move into Anchorage Native called Far North Bible College. All of this was going, it was a great idea. Everybody's on board. We're loving it. We're excited. The only problem was God was not on board with us. And that whole thing shifted. God was on board with church planting. It just wasn't in Anchorage. It was going to be in Algona, Iowa. And we hardly knew what was going on in Algona, even though we grew up in Humboldt. We just knew that you have to beat them in basketball and football. <laughs> and baseball. And all of that took us on a journey that led us to a new community. There were a lot of events that transpired in our lives, and they were coming at us just incredibly fast speed. One of the biggest events was Joan's father passed away at that time in early November. And we made arrangements to come back to Gilmore City for the funeral. And, and uh, while there, I had a military assignment and I needed to fly back to Anchorage. Joan was gonna stay with the kids. We just felt like maybe something else was gonna happen. So those six weeks until we, Christmas time came, I was able to get out for, uh, I'd earned enough days off to fly back for Christmas. And, and um, in the meantime, we had heard that there was an indication to start a new church in Algona because a small Nazarene church that was located on McGregor Road had went out of, they'd closed the church. It was a little church. The church uh, could easily fit inside our West Fellowship Hall. It was smaller than that, but it had a great location. And so before I left to fly back to Anchorage, Joan and I decided, let's drive up there and see what this place looks like. Nobody had said, you're going to go there. Nobody, nobody had said, yeah, we're going to do this. Everything's all ready. We bought the building and all this. Nothing had happened. Zero. And I remember the night because we drove in and we pulled off of McGregor Road into an alley that goes on the east side of the property. And as we stopped at her dad's pickup, God spoke to me. He spoke to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you right now. His voice simply said, this is where you're coming. And I just sat there, and we both sat there. We didn't say a thing. We went out to eat. And I, after we were there for a while, I turned to Joan and I said, Joan, did God say anything to you? And she said, he told us we're coming here. The next day, we decided to come back in the daylight. We'd like to take a look at this place in the daylight. 
So we did. We got out, we walked around a little bit, and we found the back door that was sort of to the sanctuary. Well, it was. It was just in a corner. It was locked, but I figured out a way to get in. And <laughs> I, I don't recommend that to anybody. I was... I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying I should model this thing for anyone. I'm telling you folks. We walked into that sanctuary. And the presence of God was stronger than I've ever felt in my life. There was no heat on in the building, it was cold. And those old wooden, hardboard pews, God pulled back a curtain for me. And they were full of people, full of families, full of people that I never met in my life. And so we left. We knew that God had spoke. It would be three or four weeks. But I remember well, I was alone. I was at, back in Anchorage. Joan was here. I remember this. I, I, I remember it like it happened this morning. I was laying on the floor, face down, praying, calling out to God. And in fact, I was a little bit irritated. And I remember clenching my fists and pounding the floor. I want to hear from you now. And the phone rang. I'm not making this stuff up, folks. It wasn't God. It was just as good, though, for me anyway. That worked out. And was a district officer saying, we have just voted to purchase that property. Are you still interested? And I said, I'm ready to go. He said, you can pray about that if you'd like. <laughs> I saw absolutely no need in that. I'd heard God in December. I heard his voice. We'd been praying. We're ready to go. It would be another month before... I could get moving and everything like that, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I can guarantee you this. We did not know a thing as to what to do. We were clueless. I didn't know anything how to do that. How do you start a church? And I can tell you this today, saints. The way we started it in 1978, we did it the hard way. They do it smarter today, and they're more effective. But we did it the hard way. But I tell you this, we did it God's way too. Hard or not, that's what God told us. We didn't know what to do, but we had an incredible assurance that God knew what to do. And if we would simply trust him, he'd show us everything, and he did. Everything, absolutely everything. 
The idea of church planting is mostly a foreign concept to most people. Probably people in this room, too. That's not to say that's bad or anything. It's just a foreign concept. Probably a lot of people would tell you the church has already been there. It's been there for years, decades, and everything else. And they never considered the idea of seeing a great need of souls. And this is the point. This is, folks, this is the point. It's those 9,815 souls. The need of the souls to discover what it means to be saved and to know Christ and to allow Christ to transform your life and you become a new person. It's a fresh expression of the church. Fresh. Church planting is a critical component of the Great Commission and its calling and and the command of Jesus to reach people and to make disciples. Charles Spurgeon, an orator and preacher, really of about a hundred years ago, made this statement, and it's a powerful statement, it's strong. He said, as a Christian, you are either a missionary or you are an imposter. Wow. He preached that from some pulpit. That's strong language. But I think we need to hear those strong things. I think we need to allow those strong kind of statements to challenge our life. Sometimes just simply to shake us awake. You know, in other words, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't live on a mission field. The people around you need Christ. We live in communities that need Christ. Our neighbors need Christ. And all of these things. And somewhere along the way we decided it's okay for believers to simply attend a Sunday morning service and hear a sermon and then go out and live our lives for ourselves. That's just simply wrong. That's not right. That's wrong. I want to go back to my text this morning just for a moment. Jesus asked the question of his disciples. You know, he's taking a little Gallup survey here, a little poll of his 12 disciples. They were in the town of Caesarea Philippi. It was a, it was a, it would be called a metropolitan area today. A lot of things, a lot of businesses, all kinds of people living here. It was a, it was a commerce center, trade crossroads. So there was all kinds of things going on in the city. And, uh, and he asks the question, who do people say I am? And the disciples spoke up and said, well, you know, some of them think you're John the Baptist that came back to life somehow. Or you're one of the prophets, Elijah or Jeremiah. And then Jesus, Jesus narrows the focus of his, uh, of his uh, question. He says, but who do you say? I am. You. You. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, obviously one who is never at a loss for words, speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And I'm telling you, Jesus, Jesus I, I could just see Jesus sort of taking a step back and saying, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. You didn't just sort of dream that up while we were talking here. You didn't just imagine that. God gave you those words. The Spirit of God spoke to you. You are the Christ. Christ is a Greek word that comes out of the Hebrew language. It kind of has a road map to it. To many of us, it's called the Anointed One or the Messiah. The Hebrew people would call it the Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the Anointed One of God. In other words, Peter put his thumb right on it. He said, Jesus, you are God. And Jesus said, you're exactly right. Powerful moment. What does this mean? It means there's a lot of people. And I can tell you this, and in verse 18 it comes along, and it talks about building his church. He says, I say to you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Let me straighten you out on a couple things here. I want to do a little tiny word study here, just for a moment. A little bitty one. A little bitty one, because people have got this one thing all kind of discombobulated here on how they understand this and everything, that it is not saying uh, that God is building his church on Peter. Now get that out of your head, folks. Get that out. Of, that is not correct. That is incorrect. And any freshman college Greek major could tell you that. The word Jesus is using for the name Peter is the term little rock. Peter, you're a little rock. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're a small pebble. You're, you're, you're a small rock. And then Jesus went on to say, and upon this rock, this rock, and he changes the word right there. He changes the word, and the word rock there means a gigantic, huge, humongous boulder representing Christ and faith in Christ. That's how I'm going to build my church. That's how I'm going to plant my church, upon Christ, upon him. A massive, big rock. Jesus is literally saying right here, he says, he's, <clears throat> he's saying, um, Peter, you're a little pebble, you're a little piece of this great big rock, and it's on that rock that I'm going to build my church. Listen to me carefully, all of us, all of us in this room who know Jesus Christ, we're a we're one of those little stones. We're one of those little, uh, little chips. We're one of those little pieces of rock. But together, we, we come together, we become a part of this, this huge rock. This huge, huge representation of Christ. And what Christ is doing. Hear me, God is not building his church just through pastors. They're all little rocks. He's going to build it through all of us, every one of us. That's how it works. Acts chapter 8 tells us a great story of Philip and this Ethiopian. It's a powerful story of obedience and the amazing work of the Holy Spirit. 
obedience and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it happened, and it all happened because Philip, Philip allowed himself to be used by God to share the gospel with one guy. This, this Ethiopian was in a, like a little carriage thing. He was a government official. He was going through the area that we call the Gaza Strip on his way back into Egypt, then back into Ethiopia. He was reading, he was reading, strangely enough, a part of the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And Philip shows up. A little miraculous stuff here. Philip shows up and he says, do you know what you're reading? He says, I haven't got a clue. I don't know what this means. He says, I'll tell you. So he jumped up in the carriage. He explained, this is talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about the Lord. And the guy says, well, I want to know the Lord. I want to get saved. And he did. Then the other nice thing is they ran onto some water, which I think is interesting because that's kind of a desert area. Water isn't just everywhere. He says, well, then let's get baptized. Okay, let's do that. This guy didn't know what baptism was. He didn't know anything. He just knew that he was a new believer in Jesus Christ. I've come to Christ. Christ is transforming my life, and I'm saved. And after that, the guy got back up in his carriage. Philip is gone. There's a little supernatural transport thing God's got going on here. Just understand. Take it for granted. You know what's neat about this, folks? That Ethiopian, and I don't know his name, and you don't know his name. He brought the gospel to the continent of Africa. Why? Because God loves Africa. I read this probably a week or ten days ago. There are regions, there are cities, there are countries in Africa that are now at least, if not more, than 50% born again. Why? Because a guy named Philip, who was holding a revival in Samaria, was used by God to talk to this guy in a chariot that he never met, that he would never meet again, and that's how God works. God's leading a continent to Christ. Paul worked sort of in the same way too, you might know. Because he wanted to go to he wanted to go to Macedonia and God said, No, 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 no. How about over to Mysia? No, no, don't want you there. Paul didn't just sit on a rock and feel sorry for himself. He kept right on going, right on preaching. God says, it's time for Europe to hear the gospel. I want you to go to Europe. And that's what he did. And he brought the gospel to Europe. You and I may not be the next Apostle Paul or change an entire continent or speak to thousands, but just like Philip, you and I can faithfully be faithful when the Spirit calls us and share Jesus with that one person. You simply do not know what God will do through one person. Today, we have spiritual children. Joan and I enjoy this so much. Social media has helped us in this area. 
We have spiritual children that serve the Lord in so many places across the nation. We have some in several continents of the world. And we get these little scraps, these little shreds of reports of God is working in this area. God is doing this. Areas that are just, you name it, they're there. And we had just a little tiny sliver. We had just this little moment of their life to some way impact them, to speak into their life. God was doing all of it. It isn't us. We just, we just had to happen to be an instrument for a moment, and that's it. I can tell you this if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, I'm going to tell you this right now. A church planter has had a direct impact in your life. Acts chapter 11 tells us there were some common, ordinary folks who went to the community of Antioch. And these folks went on this little mission. They wanted to go to this town and share the gospel, so they did. They were sharing the gospel, and God just blessed their, their ministry. Now, these people aren't trained or anything. They're not, these, these are not apostles or ministers. They're just everyday people that just felt like this town needs to hear about the gospel, and so they went over there, bunch of people started getting saved. Paul and Barnabas heard all about it, and they said, you know, we should go up there and see how we can help. And they did. They went up there to help ground some of these people and disciple some of these people, all of this stuff. It was in Antioch, ladies and gentlemen, that Christians were first called Christians. And it's the first recorded church in the New Testament. How did it happen? People just said, there's a need over there. Let's just go over there and meet that need. Let's see what God will do in our lives. That's how Christianity spreads. It's normal. It's everyday people that went to some place and became telling people about Jesus. People got saved and the church was formed. I think it was about 29 years ago. Many of you will resonate with this. I think a very courageous group of people struck out to plant a church. I don't think a one of you can walk up to me and say, yeah, we knew exactly what we were doing and how it was all going to work out and we had it all figured out in details. You didn't know what to do. You didn't know what was ahead. Even when you did it, you didn't probably quite know what to do. But you knew this. God told you to do it. It took some courage to walk out of a place that's well-established, probably comfortable, all the bills are paid, all that stuff. Go to a place, a pink building, really? But that's where you started what's now called Faith Community Church. You obeyed God, and God raised up a church to impact a community. And now looks the opportunity to take the gospel further. Every person in this building 
has been act directly impacted by a church planter. Everyone. Church planting is not a plan B thing. It's plan A. It's a fulfillment of the Great Commission. It's what God is doing. And everyone can be a part of it. Connie, could you return to the piano? Play whatever you want. I've taken advantage of this pulpit today so you can join us in planning a church. It's going to be hard work. Hard work. But you can pray and you can believe and you can trust and you know and you can know that the God who has brought you this far today is the God that will take you even further. Upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. Folks, we've got a lot of work to do. I hope we'll do it. Would you pray with me? Stand and pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. It is an everlasting voice that speaks into our hearts, into our lives. Father, I pray today that there has been a strong motivation of your Holy Spirit in every one of our lives. A motivation to reach people, a motivation to speak a word of encouragement, a word of hope, the word of the gospel that can save people, that can save families, that can transform communities and lives. So Father, today, I, I ask you to place us under your, your watchfulness, to open our ears to your voice. Father, I pray that you will begin to pour into our lives new faith, new courage to accept the possibilities that you have for us as a congregation here. So Father, I thank you today. Lord, I want to ask before we close off the service, maybe there's somebody in the room today and you're here today, but you've heard some things today that have touched your heart. They've moved you. You want something. You want what God has for you. God has Jesus for you. God has forgiveness for you. And so, Father, I ask people to pray. Simply pray. Jesus Christ, come into my life. I want you to forgive my sin. I'm lost. I need hope. I need help. I need Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you'll help me simply accept him as my Savior and Lord. I want to believe on him in my heart, not just my head, but in my heart, to trust him 100% for my salvation, for my eternity. 
Father, I pray that you'll help somebody right now to just simply call upon Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead. And today, I make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, making him the Lord of my life. Father, accomplish this in people's hearts. Accomplish this in somebody's life today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.